Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Bowery Boys, episode 320. Heart Island. The loneliest place in New York. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey, Support for the Bowery Boys is provided by our listeners. Join us for as little as a dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys. This is Greg Young. And I'm Tom Myers. And today we're tackling a subject that's both a bit mysterious and rather somber. We're traveling to a place called Heart Island, the strange and lonely island located in the Bronx. It's a bit strange because of the island's rather unusual history, as we'll get to today. And we're calling it lonely because today nobody lives on the island. No living person, we should say, because it's the final resting place of about one million New Yorkers who have been buried in its mass burial plots. Yes, Hart Island is the site of New York's current Potter's Field, or public cemetery. And just to repeat that unbelievable statistic that Tom just said, around a million people have been buried on the island since the mid-19th century. It's also been in the news lately as the island's public burials have been tragically increased due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, and to be clear, when we say Potter's Field... Uh, We mean that these burials are for the city's poorest residents whose families cannot afford a more traditional cemetery burial. And they're also for those who are simply forgotten, people who sometimes cannot even be identified by the city. So when these people die and there's no money or there's no family to take on the responsibility of their burial, they get interred here in large, unmarked mass graves. This is the largest potter's field in the United States. And later in the show, we'll discuss some efforts that are underway right now to change the process, or at least restore some humanity to this process. Yeah, and I'd I'd also like to add right off the bat that the subject of potter's fields is really obviously very sad. And our intention here at the Bowery Boys, um, when we decided to start producing, you know, these twice a week shows have actually been to escape some of the really kind of difficult news that we've been in, that we've all been inundated with lately. Yeah, and I just have to confess it has really been nonstop the past several weeks. Yeah, and that's why we've been talking about straw hat riots, you know, and Jenny Lind, Greg. Um but because Heart Island just started making headlines again, you know, we thought that we would 
spend some time telling its story and putting the island into context. And to do that, we, you know, we won't only be talking about its role as a public cemetery. No, that's actually just part of the story, obviously, and we'll get to that. It's not the whole story. No, exactly. So then for starters, Tom, can we just situate this island for the listeners? Mm-hmm. I just said up front that it is in the Bronx, but mm-hmm. that is a little vague. <laughs> yeah, the Bronx is a big place. Yes. Um, Hard Island's Bronx location is pretty remote, but imagine this. If you follow the East River, okay, up and around past Rikers Island, LaGuardia Airport, under the Throgs Neck Bridge, keep going, and as you enter into the body of water that's known as the Long Island Sound, and, and you pass City Island, you'll run right into Hart Island. It's just east of City Island. Mm-hmm. And, oh, Tom, my eyes just watered. I just It's one of my favorite places <laughs> in the city. I, am, I need some fried seafood uh, from City Island here, please, hopefully soon. We will be back there soon eating fried everything, Greg. <laughs> uh, Hart Island is also just southeast of Pelham Bay Park and, and Orchard Beach. And we'll add, actually, that this is a very slender island. It's an odd-looking place. Yeah, it, it has a total area of about 131 acres, and it's about a mile long. It's wider at the top, about a third of a mile wide, but long and slender at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Now, I do have to say, even though this is going to be a more somber show than most, that I do have a personal love for a good New York island history show Mm -hmm. here. I find it interesting just how a city, which has islands at its disposal, how it uses them, right? So you have like Governor's Island, which was used primarily in its history for military purposes. Mm -hmm. You have Ellis Island, which was for immigration. Mm -hmm. We've discussed at length Roosevelt Island or Blackwell's Island, which has been a place for the cities, you know, many of the cities more unpleasant institutions like prisons and quarantine hospitals. And so Hard Island would share a little bit of that fate. But let me start at the beginning with an Englishman named Thomas Pell, who settled here in the 1650s. Okay, he's an Englishman, even though the region was controlled by the Dutch during this period. It was part Mm. of New Netherlands. Well, in 1654, he signed a treaty with the Siwanoi, which was a local Native American tribe here, to occupy an immense area of land, really much of what is today's eastern Bronx. That purchase also included two islands of some significant size, today's City Island and the smaller, much narrower island to the east, Hart Island. And was it this gentleman, Thomas Pell, who first called it Hart Island? Well, we don't know exactly, but Pell was English. And soon, of course, obviously, the whole region would be the English colony of New York. So so that might be a clue for the name. So look at the word heart from that particular angle. And the word heart, we should add, is H-A-R-T, not H-E-A-R-T. Yeah. Right. In Old English... And even in Shakespeare's time, he used the word heart, H-A-R-T, was another word for stag or deer. Hmm. Now, this meant then that the island either contains some deer or with some creativity, if you kind of like blur your eyes a little bit, you can imagine that the island looks like the hind quarter of a deer. 
I think I think you'd need to blur your eyes quite a bit for that, but <laughs> I'm not seeing the hindquarters. But okay, I'll, okay, I'll, I'm right. going to take your word for it. Um, I'm then assuming that not much was happening out here uh, until the 19th century. Sure, yeah. So pretty, that's pretty much accurate. The earliest reference that I was personally able to find of Heart Island, thanks to newspapers.com, was from the year 1802. And, and this reference and others from this era were just in regards to passing ships which anchored off of its shore. Now, its first non-shipping reference, however, will probably surprise you, Tom, because it involved boxing or pugilism. <laughs> boxing? Mm-hmm. Were they holding matches out here? Did they have some sort of a boxing arena on the island? Not quite. Boxing has always been a popular sport since in New York since the early 19th century. Or I guess I should say pugilism. <laughs> say it again. Pugilism, as these weren't necessarily boxing matches as we might know them today. Sometimes there were traveling pugilists that traveled across the country, and other times it was people that were just brawling with one another in a kind of planned way. And people often went to barren islands in the region because these events were really rowdy. And of course, here out at the island, they could be presented unpoliced and very unlikely to be broken up. So here's an article I found in the Brooklyn Long Island Star from June 18, 1835. Quote, Last week, a regular match fight took place on Hart Island between Reed and Barrett, who by description must have been experienced prize fighters. They had 48 rounds, occupying one hour and 10 minutes. Barrett came off victorious. At the close, the ring was broken, and the seconds and all began fighting. This prize fighting is a foreign fashion lately introduced among us. <laughs> Wait, it just turned into a brawl? Yes, yes it did. <laughs> and these would these matches and were drawing hundreds of people out to the island? Thousands. What? At least at least once or twice, one match in 1842 attracted thousands of spectators conveyed to and fro from the island by a fleet of 10 steamboats. I can only imagine the chaos out here as there were, obviously there was no arena of any kind. It was just people standing around a makeshift boxing ring. I can only imagine the chaos <laughs> on the 10 steamboats <laughs> yes. as the pugilists started g going for each other. Oh, yes. I think this was a chaotic voyage <laughs> to and fro. By the way, there were so many disreputable people here, according to the newspapers, that the city's crime rate went down on that particular day. <laughs> they should have held the matches more often. I um, guess. So, okay, so the island's strange legacy then begins with boxing. But this was still Pell's private property. It belonged to the Englishman? Um, well, the Pell estate had sold the island off, mm -hmm. actually, by the late 18th century to descendants, believe it or not, of the Delancey family, oh. of Delancey Street fame in the Lower East Side. But actually, it passed through several hands over the decades. But yes, at this point of the story, it's still private property. And it stays within a volatile theme, shall we say, by the 1860s, when the federal government leases the island as a training ground for Union regiments during the Civil War. Right. And it's it's almost shocking to hear, you know, how New York parks and islands 
uh, were taken up during the Civil War with temporary barracks and training areas and even hospitals, something we can actually relate to today. So I'm, I guess I'm not surprised to hear that Heart Island got some of the same uses. And use in a historically interesting way, I guess, is one way to put this, for it was the training of black Union troops, the 31st Regiment of the United States Colored Troops, which was raised here on Hart Island in April of 1864 and then saw, and saw battle in the South by the fall. In fact, this particular regiment was actually in Appomattox when the Confederates surrendered on April of 1865. And they started in 1864. So the military career then of Hart Island was pretty short-lived. It was, but it wasn't done yet. Because actually during the same month as the Southern Surrender, so 155 years ago, Mm -hmm. Tom, uh, the Hart Island barracks here were refitted into a prison for Confederate soldiers. So between April and July of 1865, thousands of captured troops were held here in truly sorry conditions. Over 3,400 prisoners in total, and 235 men died here just during these very few months. And these men who died here, were they buried here on Hart Island? They were eventually interred in Cypress Hills Cemetery in Brooklyn. The island remained a military post, but all of this use out here on Hart Island was very active by this point by the federal government, did inspire the city of New York to look at this little island in a brand new way. Now, there had been some chatter during this period that New York might cede Hart Island to the federal government permanently to build a lighthouse. Oh. But that would not be the fate of Hart Island. Instead, in 1868, the city of New York purchased a portion of the island from its owner at this time, a man named Edward Hunter. They planned to use it for a municipal purpose. And by the way, I also read differing kinds of reports, so I think different parts of the island were sold at certain points, Mm -hmm. because I also read an article in the New York Times in February of 1869 talking about a purchase from the same Mr. Hunter, a purchase by the New York Department of Charities and Correction. Hmm. Okay, so so New York in the 1860s, just to remind everybody, we're just talking about the island of Manhattan. But here in the late 1860s, the city purchased outright this island, Hart Island, in the Long Island Sound. Yes, years before the city would annex parts of what we would know as the borough of the Bronx today. And you said this was purchased for the, the city's Department of Charities and Correction? What, yes. were, what were they planning on doing with the island? Well, usually when you think about charities and corrections in mm-hmm. 19th century New York, you are thinking about that other island, Blackwell's Island, that island down south in the East River that we know today as Roosevelt Island. And as we mentioned, it is here that city institutions like prisons and almshouses were placed. But New York was growing at such an extraordinary rate by the 1860s. And Keep in mind, Brooklyn's also growing rather quickly here as well. You know, the city needs more space for institutions. And here was Hart Island with only a, a few old barracks and pretty much nothing else. The first plan actually was to create, quote, an industrial school for destitute boys. 
Okay. Industrial school sounds um, like code here. I Well, in this case, it was essentially a workhouse. Mm-hmm. To quote from a Department of Corrections annual report, quote, to the industrial school are committed vagrant boys too old to be sent to the nurseries, habitual truants from school, and incorrigible boys. But in 1869, the city also selected the island for another city purpose. Hart Island was to become the city's Pottersfield. Because before this time, this is 1869, before then, most of the city's potter fields were in Manhattan itself. In fact, many of the parks in Manhattan had actually once been potter's fields themselves. Yeah, if you consider that up until the early 19th century, the population of the city of New York was concentrated only down at the southern tip of the island. So it's not surprising that the city might place a potter's field, say, on the location of today's Washington Square Park, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a potter's field from 1797 to 1825. It was actually both a potter's field and a burial ground for those who perished in yellow fever epidemics. Then, of course, you also had Union Square and Madison Square. They were at some point burial grounds, as was Bryant Park. And why did the location of these potter's fields keep moving around? I I guess they kept moving up the island with the population or to be ahead of the population? Yeah, pretty soon, right? New York was just building up here. It's becoming incredibly crowded throughout the decades. There was really no room for burials of any kind. And of course, there were also safety concerns and security concerns. So in 1851, the city banished burials of any kind below 86th Street. And then by 1866, no new cemeteries at all could be constructed in Manhattan. And in fact, Trinity Church Cemetery, which we talked about several months ago in our Secret Places of Upper Manhattan show, is the only active cemetery in Manhattan today. But regardless, a potter's field would still be a necessity for the city. So where where were they going to put it after they couldn't put it on Manhattan? Right, they couldn't put it on Manhattan, so they went out to all of those acres of available islands that are mm-hmm. in the vicinity, that are in sort of close proximity with the shoreline of Manhattan. Ward's Island uh, was initially the location of the Potter's Field. Now that today is the island that is adjoined with Randall's Island mm-hmm. today, that's also in the East River. But that did not quite suffice. By 1869, the city identified Hart Island here, which was a lot more barren, as a place where such burials could be placed. So 1869, Hart Island is decided to be New York's Potter's Field. And it would remain the Potter's Field to this day. Do we know anything actually about the very first burial here? We do know, actually, which is interesting. On April 20th, 1869, the first person buried at the Hart Island Potter's Field was a young woman named Louisa Van Slyke, who died of tuberculosis on Blackwell's Island. And having no family, she was buried here, the first of thousands to be buried here on the northern tip of Hart Island. Now, this seems morbid to say, but New York... Um, in 1869, is about to experience incredible growth and really overcrowding over the course of the next three or four decades. And unfortunately, that would also mean more interments in the potter's fields. And Hart Island, after all, is 
It's not a huge place. But the city anticipated this need, and in 1872 began a system of mass burials, mass graves, with the dead placed in pinewood boxes and placed in these trenches using a grid system. And who was doing all of this work? Well, the city made prisoners from the Black Wells Island Penitentiary do all this grim work here of transporting and burying the bodies here on Hart Island. Now, some may find this hard to believe, but this grim tradition has stayed with the Hart Island Potter's Field into present day, which I guess you'll be talking about Rikers Island in a minute. Yes, but with these mass burials now occurring here and inmates, as you said, doing the work, it doesn't seem like there could be very much else going on out here. I mean, the island, as you said, is not terribly large. Oh, no, Tom, because, of course, this is late 19th century New York. we got to pack in as many institutions as you can in one place. It was actually a very busy spot in the late 19th century. There was a quarantine hospital here, a women's psychiatric ward. By 1895, there was even a men's workhouse to join that, quote, industrial school. So this was essentially an annex of Blackwell Island's many institutions. Except that this place also had this massive city cemetery, a potter's field. We'll get to the rest of the story and Heart Island today after this. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? Is something interfering with your happiness? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own professional therapist. And this isn't self-help. This is professional counseling by licensed professional counselors who specialize in a wide range of issues, including depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, and much more. BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and it's affordable. And financial aid is available. And you can send a message to your counselor anytime 
You'll get a timely response, and plus you can schedule weekly telephone or video sessions. So start living a happier life today and get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash Bowery. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash Bowery. Okay, so we left Heart Island at the start of the 20th century with a lot going on here. Yes, psychiatric hospitals, workhouses for boys, for men. Blackwell's Island was now sending over prisoners as well. And on top of that, there's this potter's field. Which was growing as well. But perhaps the oddest twist to Heart Island's story, I think, happened or almost happened in 1925. Now, a few years before that, four acres of the island's west side had still been privately held by this family, the Hunter family, who put it up for sale. They asked the city if they were interested in these four acres, but the mayor, John Highland, wasn't interested. So they found another buyer, a a rich real estate speculator named Solomon Riley, who bought those four acres and decided to develop it. Well, he was a realtor after all. That's what you do. (laughs) Scoop up land, develop something on it. But what here? Obviously not townhouses of any kind. No, better than that. He he wanted to develop an amusement park. What? How? Can you explain this, please? Uh, To quote from the book, The Other Islands of New York City, A History and Guide by Sharon Seitz and Stuart Miller, Riley, the developer, quote, set about building a playland for Harlem African-Americans barred from whites-only amusement parks in Rye and Dobbs Ferry. Riley planned to bring customers to the island using a fleet of 60 motorboats and to build the park without a fence right next to the prison. This didn't sit well with the corrections officials who feared the great influx of visitors and their proximity to the prison would cause a rash of escapes and contraband smuggling. I mean, I'm just trying to picture, you know, amusements and rides and everything next to all of this. Um, I'm assuming that none of this was ever built. Actually, no, Riley did build much of it. And he wanted it to be opened by July 4th, 1925. He built a long boardwalk, uh, bathing houses, places to sleep. He built a dance pavilion. Good grief. <laughs> but he did, get, he did get some stuff done. Yeah, but finally, uh, the city shut it down, took over the land before it could open, and, you know, had to pay Riley um, pretty handsomely for it. They paid him about $144,000. So... Unbelievably, Hart Island almost joined the list of forgotten New York City amusement parks. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, all the island's other institutions, they're still operating like they would have been operating next to this amusement park in the 1920s. Yeah, the, the workhouses, the reformatories, the hospitals, they would continue to operate for decades Over the years, these institutions would move on or off the island to make way for other institutions. You know, like, for example, the old workhouses were reopened after World War II for prisoners because of overcrowding on Rikers Island. I'm getting a theme here, though. The island is sounding like it's 
dominated by this point by the Department of Corrections. Yeah. Who are also, am I right here, are also in charge of the burials. Yes, but the island wasn't entirely dominated by them because in the mid-1950s, the U.S. Army installed a missile defense base out here on Hart Island, complete with supersonic 21-foot-long missiles that could shoot down aircraft within a 30-mile range. So we have a Cold War entry into this, like, (laughs) morbid grab bag of purposes out here. So there were both soldiers and prisoners on the island. Do we know know if these groups interacted at any point? Oh, in fact, yeah, they did. They actually played baseball together in a field that was named Cratter Field after Marvin Cratter, the developer. This field was actually quite famous because it included more than 2,000 seats that uh, Marvin Cratter had salvaged from Ebbets Field when he purchased it and then demolished it. Oh, outdoor baseball games. Doesn't that sound delightful? (laughs) Thousands of people. Yes, for those who want to trip into some baseball nostalgia, we do have an Ebbets Field show from just a couple years ago. But back here on Hart Island... How long did the missile defense system, how long was it in operation? Well, it was shut down in stages over the years, but it was completely finished off by the 1970s. Although, you know, there's still some abandoned, creepy structures and silos and such out on the island. Wow. And what about the prison? How long did that stay? They would operate on the island until 1966. And after that a drug rehabilitation institution called the Phoenix House operated here. And Phoenix House even held concerts and events and such on the island. So, you know, thousands of people came out to the island for those events. And they they operated on Hart Island for a decade. When they left in the mid-70s and Phoenix House moved its operations to Manhattan, it was at that time the regular public ferry service to Hart Island stopped. So mid-1970s, no more ferry service. Does that mean then that there's nobody living on the island? Nobody. Um, There would be subsequent attempts, you know, to revive different social services and institutions out here, but they wouldn't really get off the ground. And Hart Island would really become this sort of island of abandoned structures uh, from all of these past institutions and also the city's potter's field. Quoting again from the book, The Other Islands of New York City, quote, The island is littered with abandoned structures. Gutted jail administration offices greet the ferry on the eastern shore. A greenhouse once operated by recovering drug addicts is overrun with weeds. A Catholic church built in 1939 and emptied of its stained glass windows, altar and pews feels cavernous. So it's such strange and kind of lost in time here, except for the fact that these burials are continuing. Yeah, burials run by the Department of Corrections and really without much public oversight or involvement. And as you mentioned, the, the details are so sad, you know, the dead who are buried here include all ages from babies to adults. And the adults are placed in simple pine boxes and laid in wide trenches that have been dug. And these boxes are stacked three boxes high for adults and more for children. And and they're laid out in sections of 150 adults or 1,000 infants. 
and I have to check in here. Who is actually burying the dead still? Is it still inmates? Yes, inmates from Rikers Island are still burying the dead out here, although that has changed just recently, which I'll talk about in a minute. Are there any markers or names, anything at all that you well, can see? There, there are identification numbers that have been written on the boxes themselves, along with other information like the person's age and so forth. But you won't find individual markers and names above ground, no. Will there, I hate to think of this, but at a certain point, won't the city just end up running out of space? No, um, because in 1931, they started recycling the graves. And I know that's really a morbid concept, but, you know, as the decades pass and decomposition happens, and these are simple pine boxes, the plots are actually able to be reused. And I need to mention something that changed burials at Hart Island uh, that occurred in the mid-1980s. Actually, from 1985 to 1986, during the early years of the AIDS crisis, those who had died of AIDS who were buried on Hart Island were buried actually at the very southern tip of the island, far away from the island's main potter's fields. And they were buried in individual graves that were 14 feet deep because there was just so much unknown about the disease and there was so much fear surrounding even the burial of these victims. The journalist Corey Kilgannon wrote a really heartbreaking story in the New York Times in 2018 about these first AIDS victims to be buried out here at Hart Island, starting with the first 17 bodies to arrive in 1985. Do we know how many people who died of AIDS are buried out here? It's impossible to say. They don't know if it's hundreds, possibly thousands. Approximately 100,000 New Yorkers died of AIDS in the 1980s and 90s. But this specific burial information is, is really hard for the public to access. But burial information out here in general, I would say, has been pretty difficult for the public to access just generally, right? Mm -hmm. As is the island itself is even hard to access. Yeah, and both of which uh, have been heavily criticized by many, including prominently a New York artist named Melinda Hunt, who made a book of photographs about Hart Island in the early 1990s, along with photographer Joel Sternfeld. Hunt realized, you know, how information about burials and access to the island were so limited and how that was an incredible disservice, you know, to the families of those who were buried here. So she launched an initiative called the Heart Island Project in 1994. And how are they doing? Have they been able to access more information about the deceased here? Yes. In 2008, they were granted a Freedom of Information Act request for 50,000 burial records that span decades. And in 2014, the group launched a wonderful website, heartisland.net, that allows visitors to access information about nearly 69,000 people uh, who have been buried on the island since 1980. And they have a wonderful interactive map. Yeah, and they've, they've even been pushing for more literal access to the island itself, like more public access to the place. Yeah, and that is slated to happen because already in 2015, 
the city settled a class action lawsuit that was filed by the ACLU. The city was forced to allow family members of deceased access to the island uh, to visit the graves of their family members one weekend per month. And then just last year, in late 2019, the city passed legislation that will transfer control of Hart Island to the Parks Department, who will start managing the island in July 2021. And will the island really be like easier to access by this time? It sounds like kind of a, that's like a stunning thing to believe. Yeah, the legislation calls for a, quote, increased public travel plan. And the mayor's office issued a statement saying that, quote, Parks is committed to maintaining public access to the island so that families and loved ones can continue to visit. Legislation will also help ensure that there's adequate transit to facilitate access. Which brings us to right now, which brings us to this moment, April 2020, and how Hart Island has found itself again in the news with reports that burials have increased due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah, because of the pandemic, the island has actually gone from burying about 25 people once a week to about two dozen per day, five days a week. And this work is not being conducted by inmates, I assume. No, although the Department of Corrections is still in charge for now, this work is being done by contractors due to social distancing guidelines. So how do we end the show at this point? Well, I'd like to take a second to again mention the Heart Island Project's website, heartisland.net. I mentioned that they have this amazing database of the tens of thousands of people who have been buried here since 1980. But they've made it into really something actually inspiring and beautiful, which they they call their Traveling Cloud Museum. They are encouraging family and friends of those who are buried here to add information about the lives of these people and to help, quote, stop their clock of anonymity. So you can virtually visit the island through their map and you can click around and learn about some of these people who until recently were anonymous. And they, they also have some really beautiful videos with these amazing aerial shots of the island that were produced with drones back in 2018. So check it out at heartisland.net. And also, you may check out our own website, BarryBoysHistory.com, where I'll be posting many photos, including some taken by Jacob Reese. Did you know that mm. he went out there and took photos? And a couple of videos and more. I just wanted to give a, a quick shout out. Now, obviously, this has been a subject that's in the news, but we had a couple recent listeners uh, suggest this for a topic. So I wanted to say thank you to listeners Brandon Baker and Mike McGinnis. Thank you for this suggestion. And listeners, you can keep emailing in your suggestions for these shows. A huge thank you also to our patrons who have joined us on patreon.com slash Bowery Boys. Because of you, we are able to dedicate our days now to producing this show and to producing right now two shows a week during the special safe at home period patrons really are the reason that there is a Bowery Boys podcast. Yes, that is 100% true, and we are grateful for you. And a very, very special thanks to our most recent patrons. Thank you and hello to Katie P, Rich R, Todd S, Daniel W, Laura U, Allison S, 
Anna Raquel S., Diana Maria A., and Karen C. Hello, and thank you. Also, get this. We might all be stuck at home right now, but we are hosting some limited edition Bowery Boys walks. Next week, we'll be live streaming a virtual walk and talk about the World's Fairs of 1939 and 1964 with our guide, Kyle Supley. We'll be broadcasting that live from Kyle's living room (laughs) and including, and Greg, you know he is going to be including all kinds of props and World's Fair memorabilia. That's on Wednesday, April 22nd at 7 p.m. And the following Wednesday, Emma Guest Gonzalez will be leading a live talk and virtual walk of Ladies Mile and a talk on cast iron architecture. Wow, reinventing the idea of uh, of walking tour. I love this. How do I how do I get the tickets for these things? Well, head over to BoweryBoysWalks.com and you can join in on the fun. We'll we'll zoom with you there. <laughs> oh, just a quick reminder before we go that we are still collecting stories for our, our upcoming show on New York at Home. We want you to tell us how or when you first felt at home in New York. Call and leave your story for us at one eight four 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 Bowery. That's one eight four 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 Bowery. So thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you real soon. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.